Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. We're live. Brett, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And before we kind of get into it, people can go check out more about you and all these conversations that we're about to have at treelinestrategy.com. And it's fascinating. And I was telling you right before recording that I'm really interested and probably more knowledgeable than I was if we had done this interview six months ago, because we are building a home here and uh, drinking through the fire hose of between architectural and building and, and all of the things that go into it. It's quite amazing that we're able to build these structures the way we do and so quickly. And you bring you find in, you get yourself you know, in deep really quickly. <laughs> yeah. I also find that it's just, my life is better if I, uh, leave 97% of the decision-making to my wife, not to sound cliched. I just, she has a better eye than me. Yeah. A lot of life lessons packed into this, this whole building thing, but let's start with that. But Brett, give us your background and we'll talk about after that, we'll talk about what a tree line strategy does and what the current initiatives you are, you have for decarbonized buildings and really evolving the green building industry. Again, thanks for having me. And I'm really pleased to be able to talk about all this kind of stuff. My background, it's, it's a long, boring story, but I studied environmental science and policy in college and grad school and thought I would work in water resources at an industrial scale for a while and got a job working with various manufacturers to meet regulatory uh, responsibilities from their wastewater treatment systems. And it clearly became obvious that I wasn't very good at that. And so I found myself in more of a, a policy world, environmental policy and infrastructure and energy uh, in particular, and worked with local governments in an organization called the U.S. Conference of Mayors in Washington, D.C. And I think I got a, a real clear sense of how much action happens at the local level, not just the cities themselves, but at even the building level. And I don't think I clearly understood then how important buildings were in terms of impacts on the environment, but they are, I think, roughly 40% of the U.S. energy use directly and indirectly from the power that gets created off-site to stuff that happens in the buildings themselves, not to mention the materials that go into building them. And my professional evolution led me to a job at the American Institute of Architects. So a guy who only took maybe three classes in high school related to architecture and drafting was then the sustainability director at the AIA. And that was, like I mentioned, you find yourself in real deep. I was in really deep in, in the green building industry and felt that I was really making a big difference in how architects and other building design professionals 
were able to do their jobs a little better on behalf of, of everybody. And then when the story gets really boring, we, my wife and children and I decided to move to Montana for lifestyle reasons, and I couldn't really find a job. And so I scraped something together based on the professional relationships that I had made over the course of 15 or so years before. And so that's what Treeline Strategy is. It's a, uh, a, a one-person consulting gig, me being that one person. And I work with a, a foundation out of the Bay Area to, to develop these online tools through a, through a website called collaborativedesign.org. It's available to anyone for free to download, but there's tools on on-site water reuse. There's going to be something on building decarbonization, which I'm working on now, which in- involves a whole host of different building professionals and, if you believe it, chefs to design buildings that don't use fossil fuels. So you know, get ready to give up your gas cooktop because uh, we're coming for it. But at any rate, oh, no. we're making some real good progress. And, and we can get into induction cooktops here real soon because it's the wave of the future. But we are making some real progress on getting the word out that how vital it is that buildings become far more zero carbon kind of structures in the very near future because the clock is ticking on how the globe is warming and how much time we have to do something about it. So I'll stop there with my spiel. I think it's great. And I, I, I am concerned because as we're building this home, I've always wanted a professional kitchen. And of course, I got a, a six burner gas range professional, probably with as many BTUs as I could get. So <laughs> part of the problem. So, let, okay, let's do this. Before we get into the solutions that you're providing, let's dive deep into what is the problems. And I have zero doubt that it's complicated and complex and a nuanced conversation. But if you were going to identify what are some of the major challenges that the building industry has in going more sustainable and more green, where, where do you start? It's, I think, probably endemic in almost any industry it's that just we've been doing it this way for so long why change and it it's a difficult thing to to have people change unless they see a real obvious benefit for them that's i think very timely and not 20 years down the road and so that's where the biggest challenges lie and the, the strategy that i've used and others that i've worked with have used to not put too much information in front of people at one time if they're clearly not ready to digest it. It's more, let's get the stuff out there and let people get to it on their own, but recognize that the markets are changing. If you just look at the any newspaper, almost every week there's something on how buildings are becoming, or various parts of building systems are becoming more electrified, less natural gas, or how more and more tools are available to help you make easier decisions and things like that. And so that's what Treeline Strategy is trying to do and through these online resources is to provide the information and the tools necessary once you come to that that realization. And, and similarly, it became apparent to a lot of us who worked in this area that if you look at a, a bell-shaped curve, you have that big middle of people that just do what they got to do without thinking too much about it in their business you have that that right side, which is the leading edge of people who are always trying to push the boundary and that left side of people who are going to just always fight whatever you're trying to do. And that 
with the green building stuff and and decarbonization in particular, that leading edge is getting bigger and that hump is coming over to the right a little bit more. So more and more people are in the design and, and building industry are actually doing this on their own, not necessarily because codes, building codes are compelling them to, but because it's the right thing. And, and honestly, a lot of, of their peers are, are probably encouraging it. And so that, that helps the cause. So when you say decarbonize building and structures, where are the biggest sources of carbon intake or usage? What, where, what, are we not, what are we not aware of? As a kind of, I guess, a commoner, I would say, as I address myself in this particular field, what, do I, what am I not realizing about the way my, my buildings are and, and what I'm using? And where do you think the, the, not ignorance, because I don't think we choose to ignore it, but more naivety of what we're doing? There are materials that are very carbon intensive. Concrete in particular is the big one. And then I think second is steel. And then Depending on where other things come from, wood, aluminum, and certain plastics, it, it goes down the scale. But I think the technology for creating concrete and cement products is changing, so it, it's lessening some of the impacts. But you still find that it's a huge, huge concern, with especially large structures that need that kind of strong foundation to just stay up. But I think there, there are more tools and organizations out there who are trying to, to lessen these impacts, but between the, the structural needs and, and certain local and state building codes, it's really hard to avoid some of this stuff. And it also harkens back to that. We've just been doing the same thing for so long. Why change it? Pour a foundation that holds up the house, move on to the next one. When maybe there's other alternatives for doing what you're doing, I, I'm not going to say make a wood foundation or anything like that because that could have other negative consequences, but there are certainly ways to, to think about what you're doing. And I think a lot of building designers are starting to rethink how they've been doing it. So what are people looking to now? You mentioned the, the materials. Let me step back. So you mentioned the materials. What about, and that's the actual building part of it. What about the usage ongoing? Where else are we, are buildings not being carbon friendly? Depending on where you live, your electric source is either some combination of coal, nuclear, wind, solar, hydro, and natural gas. And the, the more fossil fuel oriented it is, the more carbon intense your building operations are. And by building operations, lights on, all the computers and other things you have plugged in, which is probably about a bazillion things in everyone's house right now with all the connectivity we have anymore. With natural gas, you have your water heaters to a large measure, cooking equipment, things like that. So there's a lot of stuff. And one of the, the mechanisms that people have identified to at least reduce some of that, that operational impact is recognizing that a lot of states and other kind of regions are using more renewable resources for creating energy. So the solar and wind in particular, and to um, a lesser extent as far as, as new energy is concerned, there's hydropower, which does actually create a lot of, of electricity, but those are a lot cleaner. So if we can electrify our, our homes, get rid of the natural gas, in theory, 
depending on where you are, that makes for cleaner building operations. It, it dawns on me too, as we're, we're having this conversation, but that I don't really know where my electricity comes from. No one really knows. As long as it shows up to my house, it turns the light on. And that seems to be where most people stop their seeking. Where it, is there ways to find out where actually when I plug in my computer or I plug in a light and turn it on, where's my power coming from? Is there ways for us to know that? Well, it's interesting with the storms in Texas and the fallout from their power supply failures seems like everyone's an expert on where their power comes from now, even though depending on who you're talking to, they clearly don't know what they're talking about. But I think most states have public utility commissions, or in Montana, it's called the, the Public Service Commission, but they do the same basic thing, and that's regulate how electricity and other energy supplies come to your house and identify what sources produce what kind of power. So you can do a search on Google or whatever you choose to use to find where to find your pub, your state public utility commission. And they, those usually have pretty good rundowns of where your power comes from, depending on where in your state you live. The Department of Energy also has a pretty good website. And in particular, the, the Bureau of Energy Information. So to look that up, energy.gov, I think is going to get you there. And, and that has all kinds of great information about very granular parts of where your electricity and natural gas supplies come from. So that's huge. So what do we do, man? What are some of the solutions that you're laying out there? You mentioned online tools and, and that, but what is, what's keeping you busy right now? I think I mentioned this guide for decarbonizing the built environment that I'm working on with architects and building engineers and, and chefs. And it's really interesting to collaborate with chefs and architects and, and building engineers because they're... Three groups that I don't know if chefs and architects and that or chefs and anyone have ever worked together in the building design industry, but it, it's really fascinating to be a little bit more of a fly on the wall, but actually coordinate these conversations and, and get their ideas onto the page in terms of creating commercial kitchens that are basically carbon free and, and, and therefore because there's not flames, there's not as much combustion going on that it. it Technically, it's an air pollutant inside these buildings, and so they're healthier, they're cleaner, and, and the data in the marketplace has shown that kitchen staffs are healthier and happier and more productive in, in these sorts of environments, but it comes back to change is hard. But, but that's one of the things I've been working on and keeping me busy to the greatest extent of late, and it's been fun, and we're getting to a point where I think it's ready for a more of a, a widespread review, so that should be interesting to get input from people in the industry or across the country who might have different ideas than what we put to paper and will let us know that we're doing it right or doing it wrong. Why? Why chefs? Why did you bring that in? What, what led you down that path to figure out the chefs were integral in this process? And then, yeah, what it seems so out of left field, but I'm sure you're about to explain in a way that makes a lot of sense. We're talking about buildings and there's several different kinds of buildings. There's the house like you're building and the one I'm sitting in now. And then there's apartment buildings and other kinds of multifamily buildings where the residents are the ones using all the, the facilities. They're turning the lights on and off. They're plugging in their TVs and computers and they're using the kitchens, whatever the equipment there happens to be. And depending on where you are, you're going to have gas or electric in your kitchen. And here's a a joke I, I tell myself, and I'm probably the only one who thinks it's funny. I, I shared it with my decarb team too. One of the things that's going to unite all of us is when the man comes for our guns and our 
gas cooktops. That's going to be the real revolution. But going back to the, the chef part, you know, there's also commercial buildings, and a lot of commercial buildings have restaurants in them, and who works at the people making your foods? That's who. And so here we are, a bunch of architects and building design types trying to determine how it is that we're going to design a kitchen and do all these things that basically we have no idea what we're talking about doing. And, and so we got people who are actually experts in the field and really excited about using electric equipment to help us to, to create this guide that we're producing. And they've been, I think, so excited and helpful and have provided so much new insight into this process. It's been pretty amazing. But it, it, if you want, I think, real buy-in from, from getting this change ha to happen, you've got to have the people who are going to be affected to be part of the conversation. So that's why chefs. Yeah, that's really interesting. How would you change how would you change like an industrial kitchen? What 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 shifts would you make to make it more carbon friendly? It boils down to you got to get the no pun the gas intended. out of there. That that it's one simple thing. You get the, the <laughs> another thing that's come up and this isn't my joke, it's someone else's is we just got to get our ass off gas. And so <laughs> that that's how you make an industrial or commercial kitchen better as far as uh, environmental performance is concerned. It, not just less fossil fuel use, but it's cleaner, healthier, and safer. I mean, people aren't catching on fire. The, there's not combustion byproducts floating through the air. It's not so hot that you can't perform because you're too sweaty to do anything. There's so many benefits. It's, I, I can't say it enough. It's just fighting the, the, that kind of will against change. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess I always thought about natural gas as clean, right? And it's always been portrayed as more of a, a right. cleaner fuel source. Where do we get that wrong? Because it's cleaner than coal hmm. and the other more traditional fossil fuel energy sources. And it's readily available. It's just like turning on your light. You turn on your stovetop and the pilot light ignites the, the ring and you're good to go. And so we haven't really given it a whole lot of thought. But as I, I said, and you've heard, I'm sure, ad nauseum, is that the, the clock is ticking on how we keep emitting these fossil fuels. And so it's the next on the list. Yeah, it makes sense. I've had a lot of people on this show, and I guess I probably because I do a lot of my outreach for guests locally here in Montana, but a lot of very purpose-driven entrepreneurs and, and business owners who are particularly focused on regeneration of agriculture, sustainability, new fuel sources. There's just a lot of people that seem to be out here in this area, and I'm sure everywhere. I'm just, it's just what's around me, but a lot of people are very focused on that. So it's been a, a really, I've had a lot of conversations about how the clock is ticking, what we need to do. And it seems like a lot of smart people are working on it. It's just a matter of, hey, can we get the solutions out there and B, how fast can we get adoption? But I think what's interesting, Brett, is that we've seen the last year due to COVID that when we're faced with something, we can shift our behaviors extremely fast. So that's slightly encouraging. Let me, okay. So let's paint a, a, a picture here. Let's give it a timeline 10 years from now. Realistically, and but also in a way that's very optimistic of how much progress you can make, how do you think the building industry would be different? It's so difficult to prognosticate 
thanks to COVID. Uh, part of me says that we're going to go back to something approximating normal in a year or two where, you know, you get up in the morning and you show up at an office. I, I should say other people. I've been working from home for eight years now but and doing Zoom before it was cool. But I think we'll get back to something like a normal work environment. And that means also something akin to the normal built environment. But I think there's forces at work enough that it'll change toward more what I've been talking about. And for instance, one of the, the, the things behind what I've been doing is the fact that the project I'm working on right now is partially funded through Google and Microsoft who are redoing some of their stuff and, and building new campuses too. And their aim is to go completely carbon neutral and all electric. So they're rebuilding, or I should say renovating existing buildings and where they need more capacity, they're building new that's completely fossil fuel free. These are, are big players and they're pushing the market toward a direction that is is a lot cleaner than it's ever been before. So I think between us getting back to normal and those big players and others driving the market a certain direction, I think we're in a better position than we've been in a long time. Yeah, that's good. I hear that sentiment. It's been echoed by a few other guests and people I've had that. Basically, if you'd asked how optimistic they were three to five years ago, it would have been very not optimistic. But now it seems like there's been a collective shift in how people are approaching things and the amount of energy and time and resources that are being applied to moving towards more sustainable methods is very encouraging. Let me, so ultimately, there's two things that I think drive major change. And one is legislation and the other one is profit, right? If you can change things from a legislative purposes, you have just more greater chance of success, right? That's coming from the top down. And then from the bottom up is profit. If you can make these types of things profitable equally or more so than traditional methods, then you tend to have a pretty good shot of being successful because the market, especially here in the United States, a capital, capitalist market will, will drive that. What is going into green building? Is it profitable? How does it compare to traditional building methods? I'll be the, the first to admit that the green building industry has done a lousy job of marketing itself as profitable. But pre-COVID, there have been a few studies that have shown that Class A LEED certified buildings, for instance, the, the LEED is the sort of the gold standard on green building, have demanded higher rents and longer leases than the non-lead buildings in a few markets. But there's plenty of other studies that have shown that people are healthier and happier in the buildings. And that doesn't necessarily speak to the profit motivation behind actually building and running these buildings. But I think that the cost premium has come down on actually building these things because it's becoming a lot more mainstream. So it's it comes back to making green building normal and we're getting closer to that and it's almost like any other building and a lot of cities and, and other jurisdictions actually have mandated buildings meet certain performance standards and so that levels the playing field for a lot of developers and so maybe that's not quite getting to the heart of what you're asking but there are other there, I suffice it to say there are some non-tangible benefits like health and and well-being and, and happiness that 
if only we could somehow quantify and and monetize, I think we'd be in a lot stronger position and and maybe that's where we're headed. Yeah. That's itching from a personal anecdote too, is we decided that we want a wood stove for our home. And so I started doing a lot of research. That is, uh, as I mentioned, you know, 97% of decisions that my wife is making, 3% of that is mine. That 3% is basically the wood stove. And I found, well, we did a lot of research on it and found one that has like super low emissions and found out later, just due to a bit of research that I got lucked upon, is that I get a like 30% tax credit on that. How is like legislation like that affecting this movement? Are you seeing more and more of that? Or is that something that is even quantifiable at this point? Or how are you seeing the tax credits come into play? I think they're huge for installing renewable energy systems like solar panels on houses. I think that's something like a $7,500 federal tax credit in most states have something. And a lot of states like Montana are always trying to bite those to with some success but the costs are coming down and the costs for actually that the products themselves are coming down and so the incentives are becoming less necessary and you know I, I'm fully supportive of having incentives tax or otherwise to to install these things when the prices are really high but I think there needs to be a balance between incentivizing and, and the actual cost and so I think we're almost getting to that point where we can probably reduce some of the, the tax incentives, but they're clearly still there. When you do your annual tax return, if you do it on TurboTax, or, for instance, you'll get that question, did you install new windows or other kinds of equipment that sort of harken to energy efficiency? And you can see how there's a different levels of encouragement to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. If you, is there a state in the union or perhaps even a, a city that is doing this extremely well, that is like a model that we can all look up to? There are the usual suspects and I'm always trying to look for case studies that aren't in the usual places, but Washington DC is a good one that you don't normally think about that has tons of, of green building performance incentives San Francisco has a lot. Denver has some good ones. Minneapolis, there, there are quite a few. In Missoula here, I, there's a lot of talk about it, but I'm not sure a whole lot has happened. And, and that's one of the issues. And I think people like me and in working with developers, I think need to be able to tell our story a little better rather than depend on cities, even though cities are doing great things, just to widen the 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 scale the story that is out there that others can learn from. Interesting. Yeah. And so are you primarily working with, because you look at residential construction or even just, you can say the construction and building industry, it's got, it's got an old school feel to it. Where are you seeing the most adoption? Is it with large developers? Because maybe they have at scale, they have more to to get from this? Or are you seeing it more from like the local kind of building family operated couple generations in type building company? Where are you seeing the most uh, impact? I think that the bigger players, the big developers and contractors have the, the most clout and power. And when they work with architects, clients might be the toughest nut to crack, but mm-hmm. architects who are all on board with, with building energy efficient as carbon neutral as possible kinds of projects. That's where it's really, I think, going right now. 
Interesting. So one question to leave our audience with an action, but if you were going to give us all, let's say we're homeowners and we obviously live and work in buildings, what is one thing we can do within our homes and offices that would make the world a better place? It's interesting. uh, The question, you just turn the lights off and, and simple stuff like that. But I had a webinar recently where there is a group out of Maine and they just, they call themselves the pretty good house and do what you can afford, what you think is right. And you don't have to put solar panels up. You don't have to replace all your windows, but if you can keep insulation well, well maintained and at least put in newer kinds of appliances that meet energy star standards and, and, and things like that, you are well on your way because all the newer technologies and appliances are so much better than even 20 years ago that you, you can get there. And if you're if starting from scratch, there's a thousand other things you can do, but with your own existing place, it's not that hard. Just pay attention to what you're doing and keep your, your costs in mind and go from that and that will take you in the right direction. Awesome. Awesome, man. Brett, it's been super informative. I've learned a lot and thanks for answering all my not well-informed questions. Where do people find you, man? Where do you send them all in? Give us the kids. My personal company, Treeline Strategy, is at treelinestrategy.com, if I can spit it out there. And the the products and projects that I've been working on are available via collaborativedesign.org. And they're all free and easily downloadable. And I would encourage anyone who's interested in water reuse or recycling or building decarbonization to check out collaborativedesign.org. It's good stuff. And very informative and accessible, and I highly recommend it. Right on. Well, Brett, I appreciate you spending uh, 35 minutes of your day with me, and I'm glad we got this whole uh, recording software platform figured out so we could actually do this thing. So thanks for the patience on that. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. I I really appreciate it. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Rosenberg. My pleasure. Thank you, Eric.